Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we begin really the chapter on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 1 to 11, and then we're going to preach on 15, 1 to 4. We went too far last week, took too many verses, so we're going to slow down this week. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised, and on the third day according to the Scriptures. It was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word this morning. Join with me as I pray before we walk our way through this text this morning. Heavenly Father, again we pray that you would go before your word, that the Holy Spirit would be working in people's hearts, that he would illuminate the truths of your word, that these truths would grip our hearts, and therefore that we would live those truths out in our lives and they would affect how we live and that we would be more conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ because we have seen him this morning and we see the face of God in the face of Christ Jesus, I pray. So I pray that this time will be a time of building of your church and that your word will be proclaimed in truth and without error, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, the resurrection has been under attack. And we often think that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has ultimately been really the attack became, started at the Enlightenment. And we tend to think that that time when man decided that there was a worldview without God, there was a time where man's reason then became the supreme authority. In other words, man's authority a reason was the authority, man was the authority, and what we could explain naturally had to be true. Therefore, all divine revelation was subject to man's reason. If it didn't make sense, then it wasn't, wasn't true, right? We had to get rid of all of the miracles because after all, they couldn't be explained naturally. And that's why we really say the scientific method in its very nature is atheistic, 
because it looks for a natural explanation if, and therefore there is no supernatural explanation. And so because of that attack, we have seen many books written on the resurrection. And of course, we're, we're familiar with these books like Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And so these books are written to defend the resurrection. And we understand that the resurrection is really the, one of the cornerstones of the gospel. Without the resurrection, we don't have the gospel. We don't have salvation. Christianity doesn't exist. So it really should not surprise us that we didn't have to wait to the Enlightenment for the resurrection to be attacked. In fact, the resurrection was attacked in the wee hours of the aftermath of the resurrection. We only have to turn to Matthew 28 and we see what, what takes place. The soldiers are guarding the tomb. The angel appears, the rock is removed, Jesus was raised from the dead, and they come back to the chief priests and they say, hey, his body is no longer there. And the chief priests, of course, said, oh, great, he is the Messiah. He is the, he's been raised from the dead. He's exactly who we thought we, he was. No, they didn't. In fact, they did the very opposite. They said, listen, we'll pay you to lie. We'll pay you to tell others that actually his disciples came and stole his body. Oh, by the way, if you fall asleep, right, in your, as a Roman soldier on your watch, you get your head lopped off. So guess what? We're going to talk to your superiors if they ha hear about it. Here's a bunch of money. Hush, hush. Spread the lie. Sounds fa fairly familiar to our days, I think, right? Spread the lie. And so immediately, the resurrection was under attack. Because if Christ is not raised, then death and sin and Satan have won. And Satan knows that. And so he attacks it at the very beginning. And he's continued throughout history to attack the resurrection that fundamental block of Christianity. But it might surprise you that though Paul is now going to defend the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that chapter 15 is not primarily written to defend the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What? No, he's not. He's actually writing chapter 15 to say to them, listen, you're denying, and he says in verse 12, now Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead. How do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, they weren't struggling with Christ's resurrection. They were struggling with their own resurrection. They were struggling with the fact that there was life after death for them. And Paul says, you've already, Christ was preached that he was raised. How can you be saying that there's no resurrection for you? And so he now begins to write this chapter to defend their resurrection by starting by defending Christ's resurrection. And so their problem wasn't that they didn't believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They simply had not put together the ramifications of Christ's resurrection to their own resurrection. 
And so that is basically the problem of chapter 15. So the question becomes, as just before Paul starts to defend Christ's resurrection and to give them witnesses to it, how did they get there? How did we get to the point where the Corinthians who have believed the gospel don't believe in their own resurrection? Well, I think we only have to turn back to Acts chapter 2. I mean, Acts chapter 18. Now, first of all, we're reminded that false teaching had come into the church. And we know that the Corinthians were, in many ways, enamored with philosophy, and they were enamored with teaching. And we we remember in the first chapters of Corinthians that they were they were fighting over which teacher they liked. And Paul had to remind them that actually the gospel was the wisdom of God. It was wiser than man's wisdom because the gospel was so plain. In fact, he said, I came to you and I, and I didn't speak in, in, in superiority of speech. I didn't come here with philosophy and fancy words. I just gave it to you straight. And so for the Corinthians, they they were already being influenced by society around them. They were already being influenced by the things that were taking place in their culture. And we have a tendency to look at the Corinthian church and go, oh, how could they be so silly? I mean, they've got the apostle there. They've They've got the teaching of all those good teachers. But we only have to look at our own modern church to see that we're really no different. Remember, when Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, Galatians has been written, James has been written, maybe Matthew, hot off the press, and he's writing 1 Corinthians. They don't have the scripture like you. They don't have 2,000 years of church history. But look at our modern church. Are we ever influenced by culture? Right? Theistic evolution, right? I mean, science tells us the earth is really old. So six-state creation goes out. Why? Because you exegeted it out of Scripture? No, because your authority isn't Scripture. Psychology permeates the church. Even though he says the Word of God is is everything you need for life and godliness, we just don't believe that because we're more sophisticated. We're smarter just doesn't reach down into, the, into where people live, right? And so we've been influenced all over the place by culture and has gone through the church. And so had the Corinthians. Their love for philosophy had led them to, to, to be influenced by their own culture. In 2 Timothy, Paul says of Hymenus and Philetus, And their talk will spread like gangrene. Men who have gone away from the truth saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they have upset the faith of some. In other words, there there are those already in the early church who are starting to teach, guess what? There's no resurrection. Christ was raised, but that was it. You might have a spiritual resurrection, but there's not a physical resurrection to take place. 
It's already happened. And it's, why did they do this? Because they believed Greek philosophy. And in fact, when we turn to Acts chapter 18, we'll start to see some of those influences. Acts chapter 18. I've already had you turn there a little bit early. Paul is writing in chapter 18 and verse, I mean chapter 17, verse 18, sorry. I was looking at the verse and saying the chapter. 17, chapter 17, verse 18. And it says, well, I'll start verse 17. He was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some Epicureans and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so they're saying, here, here, here is this guy that is coming and he seems to be giving us some strange new religion. He's saying some very strange things because he preached Christ and he preached what? A resurrection. That's just crazy. You see, they had, in Greek philosophy, they had no room for a physical resurrection. There was really three schools of thought, and, and we, we see further on, he talks about, about the Stoics. I mean, he talks about the Stoics and the Epicureans. I can't say it this morning. Epicureans. Anyway, you see it there. <laughs> and so there are... There are, uh, yeah, well, there goes a perfect day, right? So, and there was three really schools of thought in Greek philosophy. There was those who we, we call the Platonists. And the Platonists were really those who followed Plato who, who believed in dualism. In other words, they believed that the spirit was good and the body was evil. The body is evil. And so they believed that when you died, you wanted to get rid of your body because your body was evil. And if you, the only part of you that was immortal was your soul. Plato said the body is a prison that binds the spirit and a man waits to be released from his prison. It was something that was holding you back. It was something that was dirty and you would never reach immortality. You would never reach perfection without it. And in fact, you would, you, your spirit would turn into an element, which means you turned into a little G-God. Sound familiar? And he said, this is what happens when you die. And you don't have a physical body because the physical body itself is evil. We have the Epicureans who also just didn't believe that there was any life after death. Your body and soul died. But the Stoics that he mentioned here believed in life after death. In fact, they believed that God was a spirit. God was a spirit of fire. I don't know what that means, but he was a spirit of fire. And every time a human being was born, a little spark from God would go and implant inside that person. Sound familiar? Not, old things never go away. 
And so you would have that spark of God inside of you until you, and you lived in a body until you what? Until you died. And then your spark would go back, as it were, to God. You would live in the flesh. You have a spark of deity. You die. And so you, that spark would return. And you would become part of God. And so that's what the, that, that, this is the culture that they're in. And they're being influenced by this. They're being influenced by the fact that these religions are telling them, guess what, there's no bodily resurrection. It's either evil or, or you're going back to be part of God, but your body is not what? Eternal. There's no physical resurrection. And so all of the philosophies and all the religions are teaching against it. And so now the Corinthians are starting to believe it. Well, there's another group, a fourth group, that is also influencing the church at this time. And this is the Sadducees. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were Sadducee. And so here, are, here are, is this group teaching that there is no bodily resurrection. And in fact, this is, they were running the temple and this is why they went for it. This is why they were so corrupt and went, got everything earthly because they thought, you better get it now. Because at least they were consistent in their theology and they understood they needed to get it all now because there was nothing later. And this is why we see the, the Sadducees trying to come after Christ in Matthew 22. They want to trap him. They want to figure out if he believes in life after death. And so Jesus, again, speaking with them, they say, Teacher, if a man dies having children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. And so the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the women died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife, whose wife of the seven will she be? For she married, for they all married her. We've got you, right? How are you going to solve this puzzle? If you, you know, you believe in the, in the resurrection, well, here's a problem. Figure it out. Of course, Jesus was trapped no, right? But Jesus answered and said, you are mistaken, not understanding Scripture or the power of God. That's not nice. For in the resurrection they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. First of all, you've got, you've got your, your, your doctrine wrong. Maybe you should read and understand Scripture. But regarding the resurre resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken by God, by, to you by God? Now remember, the Sadducees only took in the first five books of the, of the Bible. They only took Moses' book. They wouldn't take the rest of Scripture. They figured there was nothing in Scripture that would point to a resurrection. And Jesus says, have you not read? 
right? Have you not read? It's almost like, don't you understand? You've been careless. Have you not read? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now his point isn't that Abraham and I, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are living now. His point is what? They're going to live again. They're going to be resurrected is what he's saying. And so with one swoop, he chops down everything they believe. They are presently alive and they will be alive. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished. And so the, again, they came after Christ about the resurrection. They didn't believe it. And so now you have this church in Corinth, who though believing in the, in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, didn't believe in their own resurrection. Well, Paul wants to address that and he wants to make sure that they, that they understand their own resurrection. But first, he's going to start and he's going to remind them of what they already know. And he wants to affirm in their mind the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's laying the groundwork for his later argument. So instead of starting with their resurrection, he starts again with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Again, he's making an apologetic argument here. And he's about to bring for us this morning, and this is part one. We say witnesses to the resurrection, part one. He's going to bring for us two witnesses that demonstrate the surety, the historical fact of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants them to affirm it in their minds so that when he makes the application to their life later on, they will understand that they will be raised just like our Lord Jesus Christ. But first he starts with the defense of, our, of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he begins in verses 1 and 2, and he really gives us the witnesses, witness of the church, or witness of believers, we could say. The witness of belief. And he really says, because you believe, you've already accepted the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection, which proves that as you believe this, you are serving a living Lord Jesus Christ. Really what he's saying. Now listen, he says here, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. Now he says, I'm not bringing you something new but maybe I'm bringing to your remembrance something that you haven't, that's not on the top of your mind, something you don't remember. I'm bringing it back to you to tell you about this. I want to remind you. And he says, I want to make known to you, brethren. And again, he, he puts, he puts the, his arms around them and draws them in. He says, I want to make known to you what the gospel which I preach to you. And he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. The gospel that I brought to you, I preach to you. And this is God's way of spreading the gospel, right? How shall they hear with, without a what? A preacher, right? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear without what? A preacher. This is God's ordained way of spreading the gospel. 
the preaching of the gospel. And Paul says, that's what I did. I came to you and I preached to you and I brought the gospel to you. And he says, but I didn't just preach the gospel to you. I want to remind you it is the gospel which you received. It is the, it is the gospel that you took. You grasped it. You took it as a choice to yourself. And you have brought it into yourself. You have grasped it. The idea is to bring, to bring some sort of doctrine to themselves. And he says, you took it. I preached it, and you received it. It's, it was used, this word was used for the transmission of tra- traditional inf- inf- material. In other words, you took the gospel as I gave it, and you took it to yourself. You received it. You didn't reject it. You took it. You took hold of the divine message. They received it alongside themselves. And he says, this is in the perfect tense. In other words, there was a time when the gospel came that you received it. In other words, you received it and you still are receiving it. You still have it. The results are still here. The results of receiving is having. And he says, you have the gospel. And then he says, It's not just the gospel what you received, it's the gospel in which you stand. In other words, you took it and now you began standing in it and you continue to stand in it. The gospel makes the Christian stand. In Christ, as a Christian finds love, acceptance and understanding and support for the trials of life. He has a foundation to anchor to. And now you are standing in the faith. You are now standing in that gospel and all of its benefits. This is a permanent condition again. You received and have it. You are standing on it and you continue to stand on it. And then he says, by which you were saved. This is the gospel that I gave to you that you received. You're standing in. He says, now you are what? Saved. This is a present tense. You are being saved. You are continually being saved. In other words, this gospel is a gospel that is transforming you. This gospel didn't just save, justify you. It is the gospel that will now sanctify you. It's a gospel that is changing you. It is also a a gospel that will save you in the fact that there is still a future to be fulfilled. You will one day be glorified. You now are free from the power of sin. There will be a day when you are free from the presence of sin. And he says, this gospel does it all. You received it. You stand in it. You are saved by it. You are continually saved. You are being what? persevered in other words this gospel is a persevering gospel that continues to work in your life until the Lord Jesus comes he says in the next part of the verse if you hold fast to the word which I preached 
So this is, a, again, he says, by which you're, if you hold fast to the gospel which I preached. In other words, there's a condition here. If you hold, in other words, if you, if you hang on to f- firmly to the beliefs and the convictions of the gospel that I have given to you, He says it will save you and it will continue to save you. But guess what? You have to persevere in the gospel. You cannot stop. And so he says, if you hold fast, you must hang on to the word. Hang on to the truth which I preached to you. In other words, you cannot change the gospel that I gave you. What I preached to you must not be changed. It is the true gospel And in that gospel was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, you must hold fast. You cannot let go. And so we see on the one side that God saves us. On the other side, he also expects on our side that we what? Put in effort and that we persevere. And he keeps us by perseverance. Now we know nothing can be done outside the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also know that on our part, from a human perspective, we put in an effort. And that effort will only be successful if empowered by the Holy Spirit. And yet he says, you must what? Persevere. My way of keeping you is by your perseverance. You're kept by the power of God, which enables you to what? Persevere. And so we have that, that mystery between the two. And yet it says it takes your effort. So he says, hang on to that gospel. Firmly adhere to it. Hold fast. Don't let it go. He says, unless, here's that caveat. Unless you believed in vain. You can lose your salvation, Paul? No. He's saying there is a belief that is not saving faith. There's a belief that's not saving faith. In other words, there's there's a way for you to affirm these facts. There's a way for you to understand them to be true, but not have your heart transformed. Remember, Jesus... they, they. Standing before Jesus, Lord, Lord, what? We did miracles in your name. And what did he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And there's a way for you to understand who Jesus Christ is mentally. But never to have a transformed heart. And not to be his. Scripture is full of those examples. We think of the parable of the soils. The gospel is spread and it goes out and there are those who respond to it. There are those who even seem like there's life there, but they never produce fruit. And it is possible to be one of those who truly has not taken the gospel, who's not really received it, who's not really standing in it, but just likes it and has never had a heart transplant. And so Paul gives that caveat and that warning Be careful 
that you're just not enamored because maybe Christianity for some of them would have been some new religion, something new and shiny and exciting. And he says, be careful that you're not believing in vain. Be careful that you're not believing in vain. So many times Christ calls us to be careful for our belief. We have the virgins with the lamps. The servants who wasted their talents were cast out. He warns of gates and paths that seem right but lead to destruction. He says, be careful, be careful that you don't believe in vain. And so what Paul is really coming down as he says to the, to the Corinthians is this, what I said at the very beginning. The fact that you believe, the fact that you've accepted the gospel, the fact that you're standing in the gospel, the fact that this gospel is saving you and changing you should give you a very good indication that that gospel which included the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that your belief and the changing of your life is a testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is not dead, he is not in the grave. You are serving a living Savior and it is demonstrated in your life and the fact that you have received the gospel. And so Paul says really, Corinthians, you are a witness to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that you have received this gospel, this gospel in which you stand, this gospel that is transforming you, demonstrates as a witness to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, Paul is now going to give us a second witness in verses 3 and 4. And he's going to give us the witness of Scripture. The witness of Scripture. He begins and he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now he says, Here's, I'm delivering this to you, and what I am, he says, and it's of first importance. In other words, this is the, this is, this is the things that you need to know. Here's the brass tacks. I'm not going to start with the little things. I'm going to start with you with the things that are most important. And I want you to, to, to know them. And he says, I want you to understand what is important here. And then he says, I, not only do I want, is this of first importance, this is what's in first important. And then he says this, what I also received. What I also received. In other words, Paul says, what I am giving to you is not something that I made up. This is not something that somehow um, came to me. This is not some philosophy of men. This is not some accident. This is something that was received and given to me. He says in Galatians chapter 6, which I cannot find in my notes. Galatians chapter 6, that very thing.
Galatians chapter 1, I'm sorry. Galatians chapter 1. I saw, I saw a 6 on my paper. <laughs> Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, now, remember, Christ, Paul wasn't there. He didn't see Christ. He wasn't there to hear the gospel. But he says in Galatians 1, I would have you know, brother, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. In other words, it wasn't made up by men. I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. Okay? I, I, I didn't get taught by some other person. I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, what, I, what I'm giving to you, I received from the resurrected Jesus Christ himself. I didn't, make, I didn't have someone teach me. I, there's not an interpreter here. There's not one, someone standing in between me. But it comes from him. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you then comes straight from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the true gospel. And he says, this is the content of that gospel. That gospel that I preach to you is a gospel that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the content of it. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. In other words, all of the Old Testament pointed sacrifices pointed to a sacrificial death. And Christ came as a substitute to die for the sin of all who would believe. He laid his life down for the sheep. And Christ came and he said, here is an essential part of the gospel. And if this is not part of the gospel, then it's not part of, you don't have the true gospel. You don't have a saving gospel. You must understand that the point was the Lord Jesus Christ coming was to be a substitute in our place for the, and pay the penalty of sin so that he could be just in justifying us because he has paid the price that God demands for sin. He said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. Christ didn't swoon. Christ just didn't faint. He just wasn't dehydrated. He was buried. They wrapped it and placed it in a tomb. If there was any sign of life, you don't bury someone who's got signs of life. He was dead. He had to die. He had to be physically dead because that is the price of sin. He died spiritually. He was separated from the Father as the Father poured His wrath out as He separated His fellowshipping presence from His Son. And the third part of that gospel that Paul brought, he says that He rose again. In other words, believing in the sinless life and the death of of Jesus Christ never saved anyone. What? Yes. Believing in the sinless life and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ never saved anyone. You need to believe in his resurrection. If this is missing, then you don't have the gospel. You don't have a saving gospel. He was raised. And Paul says, this is the gospel that I brought to you. 
This is what I preach to you. And this is what is essential. Any of those elements are missing, you don't have the gospel. And the early church didn't celebrate the cross. They celebrated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is his resurrection that demonstrates God's approval of his sacrifice and his acceptance and that sin and death has been conquered by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you'll notice he says according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Now we first of all we we have a tendency to go remembering all of the texts right? We, we, we look at Jesus and John says, I'm the resurrection and the life. We start to look at all of these texts in the New Testament. We go to Acts and we look at the, and we hear all of these expressions of Christ claiming even to be ra- that he would be raised. But we have to remember again, John was written about 40 years after 1 Corinthians. They were not reading John, right? Fact is, they weren't reading Acts either. They didn't have the rest of the New Testament. So what does he mean that Scripture speaks about Christ's death and resurrection? Well, we've got no doubt, right, that the Old Testament speaks of Christ's death. We look at his sacrifices Well, I was just going to say this. Jesus assumed that the Old Testament spoke about his death and resurrection, didn't he? Remember the road to Emmaus? As he walked with his disciples, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and then entered his glory? He says, you didn't believe the prophets, and you would not have known, you would have known that he would die. You would have known, he says, that he would raise, be raised to be glorified. In other words, he says, listen, if you had, if you had read the Old Testament, and if you had read it with understanding, you would have understood that, it, that he, of course this would take place. In other words, the, the, the Old Testament prophets spoke about this. You just needed to pay attention. And then Christ goes on to teach them all that the Old Testament spoke about him. Moses and the prophets. That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should be rise from the dead and show light to the people and the Gentiles. So the Old Testament testified to me, certainly did. It certainly testified to my death. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It talks about the fact that his bones will be out of joint, that he will be thirsty, he will be pierced by a spear. The crowd will compass about him. They will cast things at him and mock him. Certainly the Old Testament speaks of his, of his death. Isaiah 53, he will be crushed for our iniquities. So where does it actually say in the Old Testament that there's going to be a resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? 
Well, we can look at Psalm 16. Verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life in the presence, in your presence, in fullness of joy. In other words, he says, and this is again quoted in the New Testament, you will not abandon my soul to show, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Well, what does that mean? Is if, does that mean that his spirit's going to go into the grave and decay? What decays when you put something into the ground? Your body. And he says, you will not allow your Holy One to go under Neath decay. In other words, his physical body will not decay. Well, what's the only way to keep a body from decaying? It has to be alive. Now look at verse 11. You will make known to me the path of what? Life. I'm going to raise you up. You're going to have life again. You will not decay in the grave. I will raise you up. And so he says, listen, the Old Testament testifies to the fact that what? The Lord Jesus Christ will be raised. And again, in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 32, in Acts 13, 34 to 37, both of those sermons quote this passage in Psalm 16 as explicit prophecies concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have Jesus' own words as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fist, so shall the Son of Man be in the earth. Jonah was a prophecy of Jesus. And then certainly we have Isaiah 53. At the beginning of the chapter, you have him dying. At the end, you have him reigning in the kingdom on earth. He has been raised from the dead. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered over for our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. In other words, the Old Testament witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. If the gospel does not include the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Old Testament is false, and God has been lying from the beginning. The resurrection isn't something that just sprung out of nowhere into the New Testament, and everyone was surprised, or at least they shouldn't have been, because God has been consistent in the Old Testament to the New Testament that the Lord Jesus Christ would die for, for sin, that he would be buried, and that he would be raised. And so we must be willing to recognize the witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ of the Old Testament. We are not going to unhook the Old Testament from the New Testament. God spoke inerrantly in the Old Testament and he pointed to the fact that Jesus Christ would die, be buried, and be raised again. We have the witness of the Old Testament. The resurrection is not a New Testament doctrine. 
it is something that God has been very clear about for a very long time. And so we must, we must evaluate and say, did Jesus Christ, was he raised? How do we know? Well, if you're a believer here, you're testifying it to already because if you believe it, you are already a believer and you are demonstrating that you believe it. And your life will demonstrate that Jesus Christ is not dead in the grave, but he is alive and working. And this is why we believe in the inerrant and fallible word of God, that every word is exactly that he wanted written, and it is inerrant and incapable of leading you astray, because the Old Testament clearly testifies to it. And if God is a God of, who wrote the whole Bible, all 66 books, and it contains the mind of God, God is consistent with himself, and therefore we must embrace what he said in the Old Testament, and we must embrace the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says to the Corinthians, look, look. Jesus has been raised. I want to raise your understanding. I want to bring it to the front of your mind. I want you to, ra- to think about the depths of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that it has affected your life already. It's affecting your life here in the now because you believe that gospel. And you are believing a gospel that is based upon what God said would take place in his word. Can you trust his word? Because God wrote his word. And therefore he says, here are two witnesses to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we we know that he was raised. It was a historical fact. And therefore, for us as believers, sin has been defeated Death is defeated. Satan is defeated. And we now stand as children of God because what he has done for us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And again, we just thank you that you have written it so clearly for us. And we thank you that we have heard the gospel. We have heard the full gospel. And we testify even today at Bowmanville Baptist Church that Jesus Christ is risen and alive because he lives in us. And our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word has been so consistent and that we can trust your word because you said it. You treasure your word. So we praise and thank you for that. May we never doubt the resurrection. May we rejoice in it. May we see the significance of it. For without it, we do not have salvation. We praise and thank you in your name. Amen.